Welcome to Pastor's Class, a Bible study program brought to you by Tim Say Ministries and Crossover Church. We pray this podcast will help enrich and strengthen your walk with Jesus Christ, and that it will lead you to read and study the scriptures more often. For more information about Tim Say Ministries and Crossover Church, please visit www.crossoverchurch.tv or give us a call at 301-927-5620. This here is a third part of a four-part series. Third part of a four-part series, I mean, um, Principles of Bible Study. And we started this series off, and it's like a race, kind of like a race. We started it off with Minister Allen, and Minister Allen was running that race, and he handed that baton off to Minister Ron. And he grabbed that baton, and he started running. And then Minister Ron, this week, hands it off to me. And of course, I ran faster than both of them, you know what I mean? I hit that point a little quicker. But next week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand it off to Minister Cyrus, and he's going to complete this, because we're working this thing out as a team. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, what better way to know your Heavenly Father's heart than to study His Word? What other way are you going to know His heart and the things that concerns Him than wherever you study His Word? So that's what we're trying to get across to you guys, studying God's Word. Amen? Amen. Amen. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, your love and your kindness, Father God, because it's everlasting, Father God. We thank you, Father God, for the ears of the, of the people here tonight, Father God, that they will be open to hear your word, Father God. And I pray, Father God, that the word will come forth with clarity, with boldness, Father God, and with a calm, Father God, that will just... It would just go into their hearts, Father God, and take up, take up a fertile ground, Father. So we thank you for each person that's coming tonight, Father God, and everyone that's here, Father God. Allow this word to bless them. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. All right, hopefully you all got your pens and your papers and your Bibles, because we're going to go through this word kind of fast. It's a lot of, kind of a lot of information, but not a whole bunch. Okay, and hopefully you take some notes, because I'm going to show you some stuff that you might not have thought of before. And what I'm going to be showing you is kind of some um, mechanics of studying the Bible. And we all, I know all of us have studied Bible, Bible before, but I'm just going to show you some different mechanics. I'm going to do a quick review, and it's going to be quick. Again, like I said, this is like a race, and it started off with Minister Allen. And he started off with the, the benefits a Bible study, and there's always benefits in it, and some of the benefits that's studying your word, studying the word of God, it will help strengthen your walk. It will help strengthen your walk. It will also give you assurance of your salvation. As you study God's word more and more, you will know you, you will know that you're saved. You know, in the beginning, you're unsure sometimes. The more you study that word, you know that you are. It, you, will be have, you will be more confident in your prayer life. The more you study God's word, it helps your prayer life to become even more confident. It will cleanse us from sin. It will cleanse us from sin. Amen? It will produce joy in our life. It will produce peace in our life. And all of us are seeking after peace and joy. All of us are. Even folks that's not saved seeking after peace and joy. Everybody wants that. If you read God's word, God's word will help allow you to produce that. It will provide guidance in decision making. So when we come across decisions, not just small ones, but big ones, and we're not sure what to do, God's word will help guide us to make those good decisions. It will give you confidence to articulate your faith. 
Amen. It will produce success and victory, and it will make one wise. We all want to be wise. We all we want to say the right thing at the right time and just have the wisdom. But if we read God's word and study God's word, we will become wise. Maybe not as wise as Christ, but we become a lot wiser than what we are now. Amen? And then that baton was handed off to my brother, Minister Ron. And he, he talked about how to read and understand the Bible. Amen? And he gave some very great suggestions. It's one of the first things that you have to do is you have to get yourself a very good study Bible. A Bible that you're not scared to write in and something that you're not scared to flip and flip and flip and carry with you and everything. A good study Bible and also a good concordance and a good Bible dictionary. Because Webster's Dictionary is not going to give you all the, 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 the Hebrew uh, definitions of some of the words that's in the, in the Bible, okay? He also talked about, you know, finding a good place to study. Now, um, for me, I, I have an office in my home. It's really an office that I made for my wife. And it's really her office, okay? But I kind of took it over because I said, this is a good place for me. And she always say, this is my, I'll be in there studying. She say, you know, this is my office. But since I'm up here and tonight, it's my, you know, okay. All right. But find a good place in your home, wherever you can, to study, okay? Um, you must see a good time and a good day. Um, you must find a good time and a good day where you can study God's word as well a good time of day. It's not when the kids come home from school and everything is hectic. It's not a time for you to sit down and study God's Word. You must find a good time and a good, a good time of day to do it as well. You must plan out your strategies and, and, and where you are to start. Okay, and those are just some of the suggestions that Minister Ron and, and Minister Allen gave, okay? Like I said, this is a team, this is a race, all four of us. All right, what we're gonna be talking about tonight with me is things to look for when you study the Bible. Things to look for when you study the Bible. And I know most of us in here have taken the time to study God's Word, the Bible, but I am not sure how many of us have taken the time to think about these important factors when studying God's words. So I'm gonna give you six Six different clues of, of, of studying the scriptures. Six different clues that you can write down. And this is not exclusive, this is not, but it's just clues that you can use that will help you with your mechanics of studying God's word, okay? And what is a clue? A clue is anything that serves to guide or direct in the solution of a problem, to direct or point out a clue. So when we're studying God's word, we do want things to help guide us or direct us so it can help, help us to understand his word even more. So that's, I'm gonna give you six things, okay? Number one, the first thing, and I'm gonna move through these pretty fast because we, I, I like to stay on time. I'm really conscious of answers about time. Things that are emphasized. Things that are emphasized, okay? And assuming, and I want all of you guys in here in assuming the role of a detective. You know, act like you have your little Sherlock Holmes hat on with the brim on the front and the brim in the back, you know what I mean, has the two brims. Um, when you go to study the word, think of yourself as a detective. And you're gonna go into the word and you're gonna start digging out and looking for clues. And those clues are to help you in your life. Amen? You wanna expand the things of God. The first clue we discover is things which are emphasized. There are several ways the Bible emphasizes material, and three in particular. A, 
amount of space. The amount of space. Observe how much space is given to, the, to a subject. The amount of space given reveals what the writer is emphasizing. For an example, the book of Genesis has 50 chapters. 50 chapters. The first 11 chapters, which cover the creation, the fall of man, the flood, the Tower of Babel, and some other details. Yet, some of those are what we consider major events, and 11 chapters are used to discuss them. And we all know that those things are, those are big things that's in the Bible, but God only uses 11 chapters of Genesis to cover those things. And this is the reason why he did that. On the other hand, the remaining 39 chapters, the writer devotes to the lives of four individuals, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Amen, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Through this emphasis, we discover the importance of God's relationship with mankind and the family God chose to be his people. So he was more concerned with mankind than just letting us know about the creation. That stuff is important, but his heart is mankind. And that should be demonstrated in Jesus Christ. He sent his only son, amen. We see the same in New Testament. We see the same in the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthews. The emphasis is on Christ because, on the, because one third of the book talks about Christ. So when we look for things emphasized, we want to observe the amount of space given to a particular subject, amen? And everything that I'm gonna go through, we can expound on a lot more, but I'm gonna move through it for the sake of time, amen? B, stated purpose. Stated purpose. Things that are emphasized are stated purpose. Another way a writer may emphasize their point is by telling us straight out. For an example, let's turn to Proverbs chapter one. Proverbs chapter 1. And I'm going to read from 2 to 6. Amen. It says, To know wisdom and instruction, to discern the saying of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, just, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and, and discretion, a wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the word of the wise and their riddles. So by stating the purpose at the beginning, the reader now has focus and expectancy for the book. So in reading the book, you understand that it is going to emphasize wisdom. And I know that's a common sense kind of thing, but that's a clue in the word. A lot of time when they give you that in the beginning of it, you know what it's going to be about. Amen? Okay, next, the things that are emphasized, C is going to be order. O-R-D-E-R, -E order. A third way to emphasize something is to give it a strategic place in the material. This comes, this comes before that, or this follows that. Sound like a song. The location of people, events, and ideas reveal the order and adds further insight of the text or subject study. Again, here's an example. In Luke, we see the baptism of Christ. And we know when Christ came down to be baptized, John the, baptized, John the Baptist was like, 
nope, you need to be baptizing me. But in order to things, John the Baptist did baptize Christ. And then, in, and that was in Luke 3, 21. And then in Luke 4, 1 through 13, we see the temptation. So after Christ was baptized, when he came out of the water, he was led up into a mountain for to be, tempted, to be tempted by Satan. Order reveals the significance of the events, okay? He is approved by God. Christ is approved by God. Then he is tested by the enemy. I want you to think of that order there because you know, our life is supposed to represent, be a representation of Christ's life, of his life, which allows us to see that if Christ our Savior went straight from the water of baptism and then was tempted of Satan, how much more we should be aware of the events and the purposes in our relationship with Christ. Just like what Pastor Robin was saying, we're on a breakthrough or something. You know, when things happen, something else happens right after. Yeah. We're going to see a breakthrough yeah. in our pastors and the thing. We're going to see a breakthrough, but then something else is going to happen Amen. right after that. Amen. Okay, so we need to stay prayed up as a body. Amen? Amen? Number two, things that are repeated. Things that are repeated. Repetition is a powerful teaching tool. In order for someone to catch on very often, a principle must be repeated over and over again. Have you ever noticed how often Jesus repeated things to his disciples? The gospel records over nine times the statement, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. And it's probably been said 9,000 times at Crossover Church, and we need to say it 9,000 times again. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Everyone here has ears. Everyone that Jesus was talking to has ears. But he must be talking about another set of ears that you have to hear. Another set of ears that you need to be hearing. We know that we all, most of us in here, raise kids. How many times do you have to tell them no and stop? No, leave that alone. If you keep touching that, you're going to burn yourself. If you do you know, you got to repeat over and over. Me being a musician, we do something called muscle memory. You know, when we learn, when I learn how to play the guitar, most people play the drums and all, we do the same thing over and over. We run the scales, we play songs over and over so you can get that muscle memory so when you go to play a song, you won't be struggling. Your finger here don't want to move. Once you do it, it becomes subconscious to us. And that's what Christ wants. He wants his word to be in our subconscious so when we walk and we go to do things, we'll just do it according to his word. Because it's real hard. It's very hard to stop and think of saying, okay, what, what, I, what should I do? After that, you done said the wrong thing. You done did the wrong thing. You know what I mean? We need to have that in our subconscious mind, okay? There are certain categories of repetition that we are to look for in scripture, amen? He that has ears, let him hear, amen. A, terms and phrases are, things that are repeated are some, A, terms, phrases, and clauses. Scripture constantly repeat terms, phrases, and clauses to emphasize their importance. For an example, in Psalms 136 we read, his love and mercy endures forever. His love and mercy endures forever. I can say that. I can come up here and just repeat that for this 45 minutes that I have to speak. His love and mercy endures forever. This appears about 26 times in this psalm, not because there was nothing else, nothing else to say, 
but to emphasize the fact that God's love and God's mercy endures forever, at all times, in spite of everything. At always endures forever. I don't care how you feel, I don't care what, you, what it looks like, his love and his mercy endures forever. And they will continually repeat it. In Hebrews 11, in Hebrews 11 the phrase, by faith, appears about 18 times which emphasizes the believer which em emphasizes to the believer that in all times in all situations we must live and walk by faith Amen. how many times we've heard that we must live and we must walk by faith we must live and we must walk by faith repeat these things to yourself because the lord constantly put it in his word to repeat it to repeat it so it's very important Amen. b characters sometimes you will see characters Sometimes a character will reappear for various purposes. Barnabas is a good example. Barnabas means son of encouragement. If you see, you'll see that in Acts 4.36. Whenever someone need help, Barnabas often appeared on the scene. Turn to Acts 27. Acts 9, I mean. Acts 9 is going to be verse 27. And I'm going to read 27. It says, but Barnabas took hold of him, meaning took hold of Paul, Apostle Paul, and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had taken, he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. Amen. And you're going to see some other scriptures that I'm going to give you. We're not going to read them that I'm going to give you that you're going to see some things that Barnabas did. But think about this. Now, we know that Paul was a, per a persecutor of the Christian church, a serious persecutor of the Christian church. Not just somebody you hear, a serious one. But Barnabas was the one that brought him to the disciples. So they all can get, get along, and uh, like Rodney King, can we all just get along? That's what, <laughs> that's why he brought him there. So think about it. Barnabas had to humble himself. He had to walk in boldness. He had to hear from the Lord. He had to do all those things to just approach God. None of the other disciples did, but Barnabas did. Amen. So you're going to see Barnabas models encouragement and spiritual coaching. And you'll be able to see other things that Barnabas did, how he reappeared in the Bible. Also in Acts 11.22, you can write this down. And also Acts 15.36-39. Things that are repeated. C. New Testament use of Old Testament passages. An obvious case of repetition is in the reference of Old Testament scripture repeated in the New Testament. In other words, whenever you study the Bible and notice things repeated over and over and over and over again, especially things that are in the Old Testament and they are now in the New Testament, make note of it. Underline it in your Bible. Understand that that's not a time to jump over the repetition, but to ask God, God, what are you trying to say to me? And what do I need to understand? Because he is, God does not repeat himself. God shouldn't, does not really, y'all understand what I'm saying? He is not a God that he feels that he has to put his word out and repeat himself. 
If he felt that he had to repeat himself when he created this earth, he would say, let there be light. Let there be light. Let, he said it one time. He repeats his wealth for our sake and our sake only. It's not for him, it's for us. So when he has things in the Bible more than once, twice, three, four times, that's because that's for us. Not because of him. He does he he not forget what he said. He knows what he said. Amen? The third thing, number three, things that are related. Things that are related. We ought to look for things that have been partnership, some interaction with each other. Not simply that two things are next to each other. That doesn't make them related. There must be a tie that somehow that binds them together. And I'll explain that to you here. A, movement from the generic to the Pacific. Movement from the generic to the Pacific. And like I said, I want you to understand that these are just clues that you use when you study the Bible, okay? This is the relationship between the whole and its part, between the big picture and the details. For example, in Genesis 1, verse 1 gives an overview. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if the story stopped there, we would have no detail of what God created. Amen? We would simply know that he did create, and we know that he's a great creator. But we notice the movement from the general statement to the Pacific as we look at the verses which follow. So this is another clue. We see the Pacific on day one, he created light, verses three to five. On day two, he separated the waters from the skies, verses six to eight. On day three, he formed the dry land and caused vegetation to grow, from verses nine to 13, and so on and so forth. So you'll see the movement from the generic to the Pacific as you're reading and studying your word. Sometimes you'll see that in there and you have to expound on that and see what it means, amen? B, questions and answers. Questions normally force us to think and discover an answer for a question. Often we see things that are related in the form of questions and answers in the Bible. Questions help us to gain a grasp on what the author is saying. In Romans 6, Paul asks the question, what then shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so grace may increase? Then he answered his own question, by no means. Okay, by no means. But a lot of Christians still live that way. A lot of us know that I know I'm doing something wrong. I know I'm sinning. God will forgive me. His grace, his grace will abound. His grace will increase. I know I'm doing the wrong thing. I know I'm living with that person and I shouldn't be. I know I'm out here having sex and I shouldn't be and I'm not married. But we do it anyway because we say God will forgive us anyway. But Paul tells you right there that by no means that shouldn't happen. You know, his grace should increase in us because of the greater things that we should be doing. We, we shouldn't be out here continually sinning and sinning, doing the same things over and over, asking God to forgive us for the same sin over and over when we have the Spirit of God that lives in us. The power, His power is what's supposed to stop us because we love Him so much is the reason that we don't want to sin like that anymore. 
And that greater grace that he wants to give to us is when, when I'm walking out there and I see this person that's laying there dead and I want to rise that person back up. That's the greater grace he wants us to use so we can use this greater grace and this greater works that he wants us to do. Not to just to cover us from doing the same thing over and over and over again, but so we can step out and do those greater works. Amen. Amen. Then there are times some questions in the Bible don't require an answer, but simply given to provoke thought or get the attention of the audience. Turn to Matthew 6, 27. I'm going to kind of ask you this question, but I'm going to read it out of the Bible, and I'm going to see if you have an answer for it or if it's provoking thought. Number 27. It says, And who of you, by being worried can add a single hour to his life. Can you answer that? It's not an answer. You, when you worry, you can't add a minute more to your life, or hour, or day, or month. So God is telling you, he's provoking you to stop worrying. Just stop worrying. Just stop worrying. That's how he's saying it. It's in red in my Bible, that. Jesus talking, right? So just stop worrying. Amen. C, causes and effects. Causes and effects. And we're still talking about things that are related. A cause and effect. This reveals the importance of doing something or the events of something happening and the result of this happening for uh, happening. For an example, the cause. The person who commits himself to the counsel of God's word, we know that's in Psalms 1. In Psalms 1, the person who commits himself to the counsel of God's word, the effect of that will be like a tree planted by the streams of water. And you know what happens when a tree is planted by the streams of water? It produces much fruit, very strong. So it's a cause and effect. So things that are related at times, you're going to see things that's a cause and things that are an effect as well. And that's one, and that's in Psalms 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, if you want to read that. Number four, the fourth clue, detectives, the fourth clue, things that are alike, things that are alike. Another important clue to Bible study is looking for the things that are alike, things that are similar or in common. These similarities unlock the truth of God's word. It's a tool of comparison that, fur that further illustrates and reveals the writer's intent. Amen? A, similes. There are certain words used often in the Bible that reveals similarities. Two common words to look for are as, A-S, and like, L-I-K-E. These words indicate what we call similes, draws a comparison between two things. For an example, here's another example. Psalms 42 and 1, the smile, the simile, or word as reveal he, the psalmist, comparison between his longing for God to a hot, thirsty deer. Understand? Similes helps stress the significance and, intention and intensity of the writer's point. You can feel what the writer is saying, thus imagine what such a longing is like. We sing the song, as a deer, as a deer panthers for the water. Oh, my soul, 
long as after thee. Amen. And that's what he's that's what he's trying to make you understand that, you know, you can see you can visualize in your mind the deer panting for water after they've been out there for a long time. That's how our heart is supposed to be panting after God's God's word. We're not supposed to say that this is drudgery reading this word or studying God's word, but that's why it's something that's similar. And that's what the, the author wanted us to see. Amen? Amen? B, a metaphor. A metaphor. Symbols or pictures that help illustrate the point. Words, pictures that are more figurative to help you see clearly and understand. In John 3, you must be born again was a metaphor when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus. He wasn't speaking literally, but making a comparison between physical and spiritual birth. We all know that story, because when Jesus was telling Nicodemus that he must be born again, Nicodemus himself even said, how can a man enter back into his mom's womb? It was just a metaphor. It was a great metaphor, but it was a metaphor. It was, you know, it's funny, it was a metaphor that was said 2,000 years ago, and we understand what it means now. Amen. Number five, things that are unlike. Things that are unlike. I always say unlike. I don't know why I want to say unlike, but it's unlike. Okay? This, I'm from Baltimore. Sometimes we add, <laughs> add a couple of little things. Where my, where my Mona? Okay, Mona's on vacation. She's okay. <laughs> <laughs> now we come to the clue of contrast. We just examined similarities, but now we are to look for things that are not alike. Now to observe opposites or contracts, you will often see the use, use the word but. Use the word but. Use the word but. You'll see what I mean when I say that. The word normally indicates a change of direction. And this, this right here will make you look at the word but differently when you read the word of God. Because I can look at my wife and say, I love you, but it's a change of direction. Or, or will you come and help me, but? Or I'm going to go and go do this, but. It's a change of direction. And every time you see that, it's a change of direction. It should be, I love you, period. Or I'm going to go help you, period. Not but. But we always hear, Lord, I'll, Lord, Lord, okay, I'll do that, but. I'll change, but. When you say your intentions are right, and when you say but, then it turns. It's not there anymore. Amen? All right, where are we? Turn to Galatians. No, we're not. I'm going to turn to Galatians. But in Galatians 5.19, now the works of the flesh are evident. And I just, the works of the flesh are evident in 19. The works of the flesh, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissension, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. It tells you in Galatians, now the works of the flesh are evident. And then it says in verse 22, but, change of direction, but, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
So it's a change in things. And you should see that in the contrast when you read in the Word of God. We see the change of direction and the contrast or opposite appears, but the fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, we have a marked difference between the product of the flesh and the product of the Spirit. Amen? Whenever you see the word but, stop and ask what contrast is being made. Amen? All right, things that are unlike a metaphor. B is metaphor. Earlier we saw how a metaphor was used to show a comparison between things that are, are, are alike. Metaphors can also be used to reveal difference. In Luke 18, 1 through 18, we see an example in the story of an unrighteous judge. We all know this story. He turns a deaf ear to the poor, persistent widow. However, in this case, the metaphor reveals how the unrighteous judge is unlike Jesus in that he is corrupt. Indifferent finally gave in to the persistent pleas of the widow, how much more will the heavenly father respond to the petition of his children? So we know that the comparison was, if this persistent widow could, could be persistent and continually ask this corrupt judge for something and wear him down and he bless her, how much more will your heavenly father, if you're persistent with him, will he not bless you? But Jesus and this uncorrupt judge is nothing alike because he's uncorrupt and Jesus is not at all. So that is a metaphor that's telling, telling you the same thing, but it's using a different comparison, things that are not alike, amen? Hopefully that makes sense. See, irony, irony. The word speaks of humor, contradiction, or sarcasm. And in this instance, it's huge. well, it's all three, really, humor, contradiction, and sarcasm. It simply reveals another type of contrast. In Luke 8, we can see an example of irony you notice Jesus traveling and healing and teaching the gospel. Crowds are about him, and there seems to be one crisis after another that requires his attention. And just as he is on his way to re respond to someone's daughter who is ill, he attempts to get through the multitudes pressing against him, and the irony occurs. When a woman with an issue of blood presses through the crowd and touches him, Jesus responds, who touched me? Now you got thousands of people around you and thousands of people touching you and you're gonna scream out, who touched me? And the disciples almost wanted to laugh. We all would have been like, what in the world is he talking about? Maybe, maybe in the spirit, somebody in the spirit world touched him and we didn't know. But then the disciples wanted to laugh as they wanted to know how can you ask such a question when people have been around you all day and you have been around touching people? Yet we see the contrast is that although Jesus had been surrounded in the crowds, crowded situation and touching others as well as being touched by people, there is a big difference when he is touched by someone or touches someone in a response to faith. And his healing virtue departed from his person and injected into the realm of the faithful recipient. He recognizes faith. Jesus recognizes faith. He might not have recognized all those people screaming, 
Jesus, touch me, help me, help me. But when faith touched him, he recognized that right away. Remember, we went back when he said, you must live and walk by faith, you must live and walk by faith. Say it over and over and over and over in time in Hebrews. Because when faith touched him out of all those people, he said something, and even all those people were looking around like, what are you talking about? But the lady knew, and Jesus knew. Amen? Amen. He recognizes faith while everyone else was waiting to be touched. This woman's faith touched Christ, and thus she was made whole. She was healed. Okay? The last clue, detectives, that I want you all to use when you're studying God's word, things that are true to life. Things that are true to life. The question to be asked, what does this passage tell you about reality? Reality for us humans is me, I'm, I'm really standing on this stage. I'm really looking out into y'all guys. I see some people writing, people on their phones typing, and just that's reality. This is supposed to be reality to us. Amen. And I don't want to get into it, but God's world is supposed to be more real than this world, so that's really reality. But anyway, this is reality. Okay, so what, uh, what aspect of the text relates to your life and experiences when you read it? You have to, you have to do that. You can't read, I can't read this word and say, man, my, oh man, my kids, it has to be for me. When you read God's word, it has to be for you. And you have to have that mindset when you're reading God's word that it's for you because if you get it, then you can help someone else get it. But if you're always thinking that it's somebody else, then you're not even getting God's word. And guess who else is not getting it? That person that you like to help. Nobody's getting it. It's just, you just, you, you're kind of wasting time. Reading God's word, you need to look at it for yourself in reality. Okay. Now it is important to understand that although the culture of biblical times and now are different, the biblical characters experienced what we experienced. They felt pain, had struggles, temptations, and the like. And I look at it like this. On Sunday morning, someone comes here, and it's different folks that will come here, pastor, 99.9%, but he has other pastors, will come and teach the word. And it happens throughout this country and it happens throughout the world. He will teach one word. And you have a person that's been here for 25 years or longer. And you have a brand new person come in that's not even saved. And that one word will change both lives. And to me, that's a miracle. And that's the same type of thing. When I look at that, I know that whatever happened in biblical times, as they say, can affect us today. It's the same word. The word has power. It's the same, it's the same word. It's the same word. Amen, it's the same word. It's the same word. Okay, at this point in my studies is where I ask the question about characters, okay? Characters. Number one, and these, these six questions I would like for you to write down and I'll show you why. We're doing good on time, okay? Number one, what were this person's ambitions? What were this person's ambitions? And it's good that they have them up there. Number two, what were his goals? What were his goals? 
Number three, what problem was he facing? Number four, how did he feel? How did he feel? Number five, what was his response? And number six, what would be my response? Okay. And next we're gonna put up some biblical characters that may be used for a character study at home, amen? So what I want you all to do, yeah, I'm giving you a little bit of homework, but you don't have to turn it into me. Because what, what I want you to do, um, because this is Bible study and we're trying to engage you, get you started into Bible study, I like for each one of you all just to grab a character, write down one character that you would like to ask those six questions about. If, you, if it's Abraham, you ask those six questions. And also use the clues that I have, that, that I gave you. Things that are emphasized, things that are repeated, things that are related, things that are alike, things that are unalike, and things that are true to life. As you do your character study, use those things. And also the things that Minister Allen and Minister Ron taught. Start incorporating that. Because sometimes people don't know where to start, what should I read, what should I, should I go in Hebrews, or maybe I should go to the Old Testament. Just grab one person and just start that character study. Amen? Amen. You can stand to your feet. Thank you for listening to Pastor's Class. We hope you enjoyed this program. For more messages and Bible study teachings, please visit www.crossoverchurch.tv or give us a call at 301-927-5620. If you live in the D.C., Maryland, or Virginia area, come visit us at our home location, 5340 Baltimore Avenue, Hyattsville, Maryland, 20781. Pastor's Class is a weekly Bible study that occurs Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. at our home location. We would love for you to join us. May God bless you and guide you as you continue to study to show thyself approved in the grace of Christ Jesus.